Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this episode of Jill on Money, we are talking about social platforms and your personal branding. If you're the real expert and you don't say something, then you're part of the problem. It's not always about you. So if you really care about what people understand about what you are an expert at, then you have to say something. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. This is the show where we try to dive into some interesting areas of your financial life, but we also present great guests. Today, we've got Cynthia Johnson. She is the author of a book called Platform, The Art and Science of Personal Branding. I know, stop rolling your eyes. This woman's got 1.7 million followers on Twitter, at Cynthia Live. She was named one of the top five personal branding experts in 2017 by Entrepreneur Magazine, and Inc. listed her as one of the 20 digital marketing people to follow. So she's got some street cred. She's going to tell us about what we need to know about the various social platforms, what we can get from them, and what we need to watch for. So here's our interview with Cynthia Johnson. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. Cynthia Johnson, author of Platform. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're jet lagged. I'm so sorry. I feel bad. Like, Mark, why'd you make her come in so early? What's up with you? Blame Mark. That's what you do. So, Cynthia, when we start the program, we ask a question, and Mm -hmm. it is, what is the best financial or career decision that you've ever made? Uh, quitting my corporate job okay so you quit your that's fascinating because we've heard this before so tell us a little bit about yourself first of all where are you from uh so i was born in simi valley california but Mm -hmm. i actually grew up in las vegas outside of las vegas really i didn't know anyone grew up outside of las vegas so what happened you went to college somewhere uh yeah i ended up graduating from colorado okay and Uh, and was that fun is that like one of those weird party schools no, not for me. I uh, I like to hop around. I had some different interests, and uh, what I what I realized hopping around is that what I was really looking for was to be able to do and choose what I wanted to do throughout life. And um, I started. I you know I was one of those crazy people. I was like, I'll get into the stunt choreography. I'll speak Chinese. I'll move to you know Asia and backpack. And I did all these crazy things. Uh, and then I realized, oh well, the internet is something you can take anywhere and do anything with and uh so colorado state was a, a good place to focus they're one of like the top schools for social media and uh really and, yeah is that this is how old i am just to like <laughs> give you the the deal is like oh my god of course they must have social media things going mm-hmm. on now in college and i'm still the person who reads a book and like flags it and and highlights it so right. now uh-oh i'm old you're gonna have to school me all right <laughs> So you go to college, you screw around, you have fun, and then what is it that you found that was your passion and, and the, the basis of this book? There's all these tools and resources. We're paying all this money to go to school, and I never would ever say not to do that. You should go to school, hands down. Uh, but we're not really utilizing the things right in front of us. And the career growth that can come from being able to, I mean, what's college? is connecting with the right people, That's, that's a, especially when you get into master programs and so on. Uh, and you don't necessarily, you know, you can do that and you can find mentors, resources, jobs, et cetera, all, all online if you just look at it a little bit differently than we're being taught. Uh, we all follow the rules. Twitter has rules. Facebook has rules. 
Uh, we've learned recently that they don't necessarily care too much about how we feel or what they do. I never thought that. You know what? You must be a more <laughs> idealistic person. Because let, welcome here to New York where the cynics abound. Uh-huh. I never could imagine that anything good was happening at these places. I mean, I get this sort of addictive quality, and so must you, mm-hmm. because growing up in Las Vegas, you know, it's sort of predicated on the exact yeah. same feeling of like, oh, I'm going to just keep pulling this thing down and uh, play the slots, right? right? It's sort of the same behavior. Do you think that that's something that is, now that it is well found and uh, understood, does it make the idea of using social media harder for someone like you? Um, no. Again, I, it makes it easier because I th- I look at it as if you want me to use your platform a certain way, then build it a certain way. Um, if I can find ways around what you've created, then you have to improve the platform. That's what that's what I believe. Uh, you are not the government. You know, I'm not going to go to jail because I've done something that Twitter or Facebook didn't like. Um, and Facebook won't go to jail if they do something I don't like. Apparently. Obviously. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's a mutual, like, equal relationship. Yeah. Uh, and people definitely are putting the constraints around how and why to use it. And if you step back for a second and say, what, what am I really trying to achieve here? Mm. And then find the fastest way to do that um, instead of the other way around. So your book is called Platform, The Art and Science of Personal Branding. Talk about the science part a little bit. So because I have a friend who's a doctor and he always says, you know, being in medicine, it's like half art, half science. If you get the science right, you only have a chance to screw it up for everybody. And so I always thought like that was mm-hmm. pretty much the same thing when I was a money manager. It's sort of half art and half science. So I love the fact that you're yeah. using that in this medium where everyone seems to make it, want to make it about the algorithm and the science. So let's just talk about the science for a second. What is the science that the average person needs to understand? So the basics of social media is built on input and output. So the algorithms essentially will operate in a loop unless something changes. And then if it changes, it'll change the loop. So every action, there is a reaction. So looking at it as, you know, if I do this, what is the reaction I will get? If I communicate with people that talk about X or if I share this type of content. Um, we've all seen this when we get blocked or we get ghosted um, on you know different accounts or they don't approve our ads and whatnot. But you can use the same kind of thinking of I'm trying to, let's say you're Maybe you're a VC, right? And you you want better deal flow. Well, you need to get in front of a certain type of person and with a certain kind of message. I mean, you can really use the fact that it's all built on this input-output mm-hmm. to your advantage. Uh, if you're looking at it as this broad sort of thing where, you know, you post a lot of content and, you know, you hope people will find you. I mean, that's just boring. It's elementary. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's really like, how do I get in front of these types of people and what action will create that reaction from the platform? And each platform is different, but they're all built on the same model. Well, if you look at the science aspect, and I just want to stay on this for a mm-hmm. second, what part of the science of these various platforms would most people find surprising, do you think, now that you've dug in and you really understand it all? Uh, one example would be uh, the, the communication part. So what I did early on is I had, um, this is on Twitter, so I created a Twitter chat. And it was because I was uh, working with, I was partnering an agency, and I wanted people to come to us who needed work, right? Uh, and so I created a Twitter chat where half an hour once a week, 
I would ask questions about digital marketing, people would answer them, and then I became the expert as the suggested person to follow on that topic by Twitter. Mm -hmm. Simply because people use my name next to keywords related to the topic. So then Twitter's algorithm says if all of these people communicate, which is it really wasn't that many people in the beginning, uh, every week with her on this topic, and it's her, uh, you know, uh, username with the words, she must know what she's talking about. And so that allowed me to be the suggested person for anyone interested in that topic. When you think about the science of it, what I think is kind of interesting is that that sort of starts to beg the the question, who's an expert and who's not? Because there are times where Mark will say to me, like, this idiot is on Twitter and has a bazillion followers and doesn't and purports to know something about personal finance, but mm-hmm. doesn't have a certified financial plan or designation, hasn't put in the time. And like, it makes him nuts that there's no vetting, but there is no vetting. The algorithm is sort of saying, this is the, this is the pattern. This is the information. And now yeah. says to you who wants personal, fi- go follow that person. Mm-hmm. So that is the science behind it. And it's why someone who maybe not, doesn't know anything ends up being a so-called expert with tons of followers, right? right? And so just to bring it even more to the point is that a publisher is is looking for ideas and says, oh, this person has a million followers, so I should give that person a book deal because... That person has all these followers. They'll be able to. But again, nothing back to like any credible expertise. Mm-hmm. So how can you display your expertise for real and differentiate from the ones who aren't? Like there's a zillion people out there who say, I'm the branding expert. Mm-hmm. Why are you, Cynthia, the branding expert? And more importantly, how do you how do you communicate that? I'm in a unique situation because what I'm doing to spread the message is exactly the message I'm sending. So if I wasn't able to do it, then I wouldn't be the expert, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but I do see uh, this a lot. It happens It happens quite a bit. And to be honest, people have to thicken their skin a little bit and uh, cause a little bit of, of, of conflict, right? You have to have that conversation with those people because if you're seeing it as this person's definitely not the expert, they just have all these followers, other people seeing it too. So you look at that person, let's say you want to go after finance, right? And there's this mm-hmm. guy doing all this stuff. You can actually target his audience and take them from him um, by create, taking his center of influence. So he's the center of influence. You, right. have to, you can utilize the most important people around him and kind of pull his audience away mm. or her audience away. Mm. Um, again, that's a science. So... Uh, how how do you do that? Well, you need to connect with certain people. And by connecting, is they, you're as important to a topic as your most important follower in that topic. So look at who's following you mm-hmm. and look at who's following them. Uh, and then there's, there's ratios, right? So if, let's say, uh, Bill Gates is following you. If Bill Gates is following you and you follow some of Bill Gates' followers, what are the odds they're going to follow you back? Pretty high. pretty high, yeah. Because they're going to think you are very, very important, right? Um, and so you can sort of use those people as a way of f- figuring out what the audience is, uh, and then, then also, yeah, communicate the fact that they're wrong about certain things. Let's now move into the art part because mm-hmm. the science sounds kind of, you know, it's it, it is what it is, right? And each platform is slightly right. different. So let's talk about the art part for a second. So 
Explain the art of managing social media to build your brand and to enhance a message that you want out there. My my target audience, they're not the uh, people who have a ton of time. Mm. And so the first thing that I say is the it's more of a lifestyle situation. How much time do you really have? Right. Uh, because you don't need to be everywhere and you don't need to uh, constantly be sending messages out. In fact, if you're an executive or someone in finance who's supposed to be really busy and you're posting four or five times a day with hashtags on LinkedIn, I do not believe you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where'd you get all that time? Yeah, right. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be busy? Go do something. Yeah. So the art is figuring out who is your audience and what message are you sending in the way you communicate. Mm. The second thing is the art of conflict. And it's uh, really important because you can get stomped pretty quickly by people, like you said, who don't know what they're talking about. And it's okay to uh, politely engage in a uh, conversation where you tell someone they're right or wrong. In fact, if you don't, I really believe this, is that all the real experts in the world let uh, people that you talk about that are, are popular uh, talk because they're avoiding conflict. And now we have this like mess of incorrect information all over the internet where you'd really want to see, you know, that scientist call out the fake scientists mm-hmm. so that there's at least some backing. So the art is understanding what you are able to communicate and how. So what if you're conflict avoidant in general? I mean, like DNA wise, you really just don't like it. And I certainly know tons of people who are like Mm -hmm. this who say I don't want to get involved Twitter's a cesspool like it's one thing you have to be on it for news which is true because like for my CBS news hat I have to have I have to be aware of what's out there and also it can be incredibly valuable way to find people who can help you with stories it can help you Mm -hmm. find information like so there are real people out there but for the average person I don't like the idea this is what they say it's disgusting it is a cesspool what do they do I'd say well decide if it's for you or not and in this case what I like to tell people is if you are the real expert and you don't say something then you're part of the problem Mm. it's not always about you (laughs) so if you really care about what people understand about what you are an expert at, then you have to say something. And if you don't, then you have to be okay with the fact that other people are spreading this message. Right. Uh, so and, you're like it's like almost like a civic duty in the way you're saying that, right? Like you've got to yeah. stand up and like say, be an upstander. Yes, I mean it, it, you don't have to to do it for everything. You know, like I don't have an opinion about everything, but there's certain things you do have to have an opinion about if you care enough to like if you really think it's a problem which many of us do we see it you just cesspool right um then you have to you got to say something and if Mm. you don't then you have to stop complaining about it so talk about the different platforms and what you think they're best for in terms of both branding and just usage like what do you what is the best and worst use of facebook the best use of facebook is I mean, to sell something, right? Right. Definitely, Targeting ads. It's definitely great to sell something. They're moving into TV and, and whatnot, but I, I think it's a little fast the way the platform's built, so I, I couldn't imagine it'll stick. Uh, Instagram, though, it might, and they own Instagram, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Instagram, it's this real-time storytelling uh, Snapchat crusher, is what I call yep. it. Yeah. And is it going to crush Snapchat? 
I mean, not in the same way we think it will, but yet yeah, it's definitely taking its users. Mm-hmm. For, absolutely. What should you not use Facebook for when it comes to branding? People tend to, uh, there's actually studies about this, share information they do not read. Mm. If you have not read it, do not do not share it. Someone, someone's going to read it, and they're going to now associate you with the content in that piece. And uh, clickbait is a real thing. It's a real problem, and I don't care how trusting the publisher is, content can get through. It's mm. just, there's so much being produced. So, like, please just read, even skim before you share it uh, because it sends sends not a great message when, and in, people don't communicate. They, they read something that you shared uh, and it's completely not what you thought it was. So it's the opposite of what you believe in. They're never going to call you and say, hey, Jill, uh, did you, you really believe this? They're just going to have that opinion. And it's going to cloud with yeah. your, right, okay. So, all right, what's the best and worst use of Twitter? Twitter is a networking and communication tool. That's what it is. It's for people who want to communicate um, and to network. So if that's the use of Twitter, a communication and networking tool, then how do you think of LinkedIn? LinkedIn's a resume. LinkedIn is you know, where you can shamelessly self-promote and, you know, you get endorsements, you can find uh, mentors or schools or jobs or, mm. you know, there's, it's not as much of a communication tool because it's completely oversaturated with salespeople. I can barely ever look at LinkedIn messages because it's, it's people selling me things all day long. Yes. And bots. Yeah, and bots. Exactly. When they did that big, huge article in the New York Times and it said, look, these people who have all these followers, they bought so many of their followers. Mm-hmm. What's your view on that? Buying followers is is not helping your cause or what's your goal? If your goal is to connect with a certain type of person. And today with all of the you know analytics tools we have, we can see exactly who follows you and why and how they engage and why they engage. And so... Um, I understand why they want to do it for uh, certain types of brands. If they're trying to send, you know, startups trying to send a message quickly, mm. maybe that's a good way to use it if that fits in line with your goal. But if if your goals for career advancement or starting, you know, a certain type of business, you really actually need quality people. You're not going to get that from from bots. Do you think that the use of social to promote other forms of media works or doesn't work? And I'm asking this for a specific Mm -hmm. question. So if I walked you upstairs into our local affiliate here, there's like almost like a scoreboard up of like their on-air talent. Like you got to do this much, you got to do this. But does it help? Because I keep thinking this. Okay. So if our anchors are tweeting or putting Instagram stories out there and doing this, is that really helping their TV ratings? I just don't think so, because I don't think those same people are then being like, oh, you know, what? I'm going to turn on channel two. Right. No, I would say that a lot of the people that follow them will probably be people who want to do what they're doing. You know, this is a news station. Um, People are there because they want they want the news. And I get it. There's this whole idea of like attracting the young crowd and so on and so forth, right? You're not going to do it that way. Put news on social media. Don't put behind the scenes on social media. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Mark, are you listening? Are you taking notes? Because I almost think that 
some of the brass believes, well, if we just do this and we show that they have this big following, then that will do what? Like those people are not watching news. They may be watching news on like a Facebook feed or they might clip on a link or they might watch mm-hmm. carpool karaoke. But that's not how your generation and younger even yeah. is acquiring their news nutrients. Right. Right. Exactly. And also younger people, they can see through. They can see through. They know why you're doing it, mm. which can sometimes come off as desperate. Some people do it really well. Yeah. Um, but that's because they were allowed to have a personality and deliver the news. And there's a certain point in your career where you get to do that. And it's usually not at the stage when they're asking you to. Right. 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 When you're in the <laughs> middle of it. It's interesting. So who uses like when you think about the branding aspect, who what companies, people do you think are using besides you, obviously, who does social media really well? Uh, I always I listen to uh, Kara Swisher on Recode, mm-hmm. and she always thinks that she says that Kim Kardashian, best, like, unbelievable brander. Do you agree with that? Yeah, of course. But she's it's a certain thing. So I would argue Cardi B is much better. She she brings it down to a, a place where it's passionate. And it's real. Mm. It's it's easy to understand why we should care. She posted two years ago this video rant about taxes. And it was the most uh, accurate, hilarious thing I'd ever heard about taxes in my life. It was so good. And I was like, this girl is insane. Uh, she also does things like perform at Coachella, like nine months pregnant. You know, she doesn't talk about the fact that she's doing it and sort of turn herself into this like martyr, you know, I'm mm. so amazing person. She just does it. That you can recognize. All right. In closing, mm-hmm. um, you will teach me how to be a better social media user after mm-hmm. reading your book, Platform, The Art and Science of Personal Branding. What's not in the book that I need to know in my you know, I am like not even on the D list. I'm like on the Z list. Like I'm at like, you know, like what should we really know about this? If just because something exists doesn't mean you have to participate in it. Snapchat is a great example. You should, not everyone needs to be there. Your time is valuable. Make sure you're getting out of it what you're putting in. Again, that input-output system, right? What are you receiving? If it's just a time suck, stop doing it. Mm. That is, that's my biggest piece of advice. And then uh, the other second thing is be kind of fearless, right? If you want something, you want to be like, verified or you want a Wikipedia page. I don't know. Whatever you want. Email someone that works there. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> There's a human element, too. Right. Um, and LinkedIn's a great place to find those people. Don't communicate with them there. Find them there and get an idea of how they like to be communicated with. And then find them on a platform that maybe they don't get as much of atten- attention. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. And before we let you go, Cynthia Johnson, yeah. we started and you said your best financial career decision was you said, screw you to the man. You quit. You like found your way. What's the worst financial or career decision that you've made? I, I took I took a bad stock deal once. Really? Tell yeah. me more. And it's, it's, it's the same situation. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we were actually brought on by way of acquisition, and uh, and it didn't a, work out for you. It, nope. But I mean, that's those are just life, life lessons. Life lessons, you know. You love um, what you do. I yeah, I do. I love what I do because I get to meet all different kinds of people and. And be part of their their journeys as well as my own at the same time. Just, I enjoy it quite That's a bit. great. You're a little bit of a voyeur. Me too. That's why I get to yeah. have people <laughs> in my podcast studio, which yeah. is fantastic. Cynthia Johnson's. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Jill on Money. Welcome to the Jill on Money Call of the Week. This is my chance to kind of flex my CFP muscles to make sure I still stay in touch with the things that matter most to you. So if you have a financial question, and it can be anything, really anything with a dollar sign, it could be about your career, it could be about tax season, it could be about retirement, anything, doesn't matter. You've got two chances every week to get on the air, sometimes three. And uh, we try to work these in as much as we can because it is so much fun for us to be able to talk to you. So today we're talking to Tina, who is on the line from New York City. Hello, Tina. How are you? How can I help? Hey, I'm good. Um, So I just got married in July um, and I'm actually looking to buy my first home with my husband. Wow. In New York. Yeah. Exciting. Very. Um. But we just were wondering if you have any advice for us, considering we know, honestly, next to nothing about buying a home and then also considering the housing market right now and Mm. how it is at the moment. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, it's really tough because, you know, that first leap into the world of real estate is really scary. And for most of us, it is our largest financial transaction of our lives. So I get that it's nerve wracking. Tell me a little bit about you and the spouse. How much do you guys make together? Combined, we make about 162000 a year. Okay. Um, and we actually paid off our student loans last Woo! year using a chunk of our wedding money, which was awesome. Oh, how good did that feel to pay off oh, those student best. loans? It's like exoneration that you just <laughs> like, oh, my God, I am free. How much money do you have left in the bank right this moment? Right now, we have about 35000 in savings, mm-hmm. and then we're putting away about 4000 a month. Whoa. And are you putting that 4000 into savings because of this desire to buy a home, right? Yes. Okay. And what about for your retirement? Do you guys make contributions to retirement plans based on your income? So I have a Roth IRA set up on my own. Um, I have about 12000 in there from a previous company's 401k, mm-hmm. and I'm still working towards contributing more to it. I don't currently contribute. Mm. My, co- my husband has a 403b set up through his school, and he's putting away 10% of each paycheck. That's great. So is he a New York City teacher? No, he's on the island. Oh, okay. So do you want to buy a house out on the island? Is that the mm-hmm. deal? Okay. Yeah. Have you guys started tracking how much money you spend on an ongoing basis? Have you done that awful, horrible? No, it's not that bad. But do you you get a sense of like how much you're spending? Yeah, we have a pretty strict budget that we try to keep to. Oh, look at you, strict budget. Okay, my goodness. Um, And (laughs) how much are you paying in rent right now? Right now, it's actually a pretty good situation. My mom is my landlord. Um, oh, my so, God. That's awesome. Or it's horrible. I don't want to go there. But I know, I know. Either um, one. So we're spending, honestly, about $1,000 a month in rent, and we pay our own utilities. Oh, my God. I know. So we're in a good situation. So we have the time where if we need to stay there, we can. Um, but, you know, we kind of want to have our own thing and have our first home. Yeah. Mm, I'm sort of loving that. thousand. I'm sort of stuck on the thousand dollars a month in rent. <laughs> For anyone who's listening who's not in New York or in D.C. or Boston or in San Francisco, I mean, a thousand dollars in rent might seem like, oh, that's normal. But a thousand dollars in rent is so cheap. Yeah. So, 
I think that one of the things that could be helpful for you guys is, although you want to like get busy and buy a home, I love the idea that you are building up that savings account because you know now how much you spend, right? So what you want to do is maintain sort of two different accounts. You can have it in one, but I'm just sort of in your mind have two different accounts. One is the emergency reserve fund. That's six to 12 months of your living expenses. So let's even just say that you say, uh, look, he's a teacher, he's safe, you know, his job is going to be pretty secure. Uh, and, And maybe you say six months of your living expenses. How much do you spend each month? What are your current living expenses? Um, right now, it looks like we spend about three fifty to four hundred just on um, phone bills and cable and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yep. And then we also um, have like Spotify and uh, Planet Fitness, like those types of things. It's probably like another fifty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And then um, we also have car insurance, which is about one twenty. Mm-hmm. What about like fun money? Like what about eating? Oh, for that, we basically do, um, we give ourselves kind of like an allowance mm-hmm. of 300 every every two weeks. So he gets 300 and I get 300 every two weeks. So you get 600 each, so 1,200 more a month. Okay. Um, so it looks like about three grand a month is what you have as like your general expenses. Sound right? Yeah. Okay. So what I would like is that before you even think about the house part of it, that if you're spending three grand a month, we first want you to have, you know, that three grand times six months, right? Mm-hmm. And we want you to know that that 18 or 20 grand, that's sacrosanct. So in your savings account, the 20 grand that's there, that's like, oh my God, we cannot go below 20 ever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, obviously, that when you buy a home, that emergency fund has to be even bigger because there's no way you're spending $1,000 a month on your housing costs, right? Right, yep. So what I think would be very helpful for you guys is to, as you're, you know, sort of in this, I think it's just like almost like your pre-home buying uh, assignment. Mm -hmm. And that is, as you start looking around in communities where you'd like to buy, you kind of find, you got to figure out how much you can really afford. And one way to do that is to start the mortgage process now, even though you're not going to buy right now. But it will right. give you a sense of, you know, what you can actually afford. And, you know, if you look around and you say, oh, well, you know, we can afford, I don't know, so we can afford a $300,000 mortgage. Okay, let's mm-hmm. just pretend. And, uh, you know, we'd want to put down about, a hundred grand. So we want to save a hundred. We want a $300,000 mortgage so we can pay, we can afford a $400,000 house. That will help you narrow your search for a home. But until you figure out what you can really afford on your 162 grand, you're flying blind. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I know I can afford more than $3,000 a month because I'm saving $4,000 a month, right? That's true. Except once you buy that home, you are never, I don't want you to buy a home and not be able to spend and not be able to save any more money, right? right? Mm-hmm. So we want some healthy balance there. So I think you it would be helpful for you to talk to a mortgage broker or run some numbers online, look at different mortgages, then back into how much house you can afford, and then you can start the process of looking. 
is the school where your husband teaches on the North Shore or the South Shore? Now I'm going to go into like a little minutia <laughs> for people who have no idea what I'm talking about. Are you North or South? Is he North or South? South? Shore. All right. So he's in the South Shore. So now you start looking and now the question really becomes, what are the schools like? Because you're probably going to mm-hmm. have kids, right? Yep. Um, what's the commute like for you? Because mm-hmm. you're you're working in the city, right? Right. And and what's the drive like for him? And what and, you know, most important of all of this is what we can afford. And you may find that you would rather save up more money today while you've got this thousand dollar rent and buy a bigger home with a bigger down payment and be in a place that's better for you guys than find the cheapest possible place that gets you out of that thousand dollar a month situation. Right. So I think it's time to do some research. When you're doing the research, you'll get a couple of numbers from a broker. You'll get principal interest, right? So what's the cost of the mortgage? The principal that I have to pay back, the interest I have to pay back. Mm-hmm. What's the cost of a homeowner's insurance and what's the cost of taxes? So you factor those four things in. On top of that, what I would like to suggest is whatever the purchase price is, like I'm making it up, right? So if it's a half a million dollar house that you're buying, you also add in an extra $5,000, 1% of the purchase price for every year because houses cost money and there's maintenance and there's stuff that happens. So be sure to add that on. And then you're going to look at your current cash flow and you're going to say, can we afford this? And that's going to give you probably the most important piece of information you can find. Okay, great. How's that sound? You good? Yeah. All right. If you need help with like the mortgage process, let me know. We can get you some mortgage brokers. But, you know, you can maybe even start this process online because there's a lot of mortgage calculators out there. Don't forget to add in homeowners insurance. Don't forget to add in taxes. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to add in that yearly annual maintenance for stuff that happens in a home. Definitely. All right. Now, I would just like to say as your older, wiser aunt, stay in that $1,000 a month rent situation. And Mark is shaking his head. He's like, stay there. Mark had, <laughs> Mark had a, did you, was yours rent stabilizer or it was just a good situation? So Mark was living in uh, somebody's, it was a, was it a brownstone? Where was, it was in a brownstone. So it was, it was like a walk up and it was right. in Hell's Kitchen before Hell's Kitchen was cool. And yeah. he was paying a thousand bucks a month for many years, actually. Yeah. And wow. he kept saying to me, I want to buy, I want to buy. I said, and I said to him, you're crazy. Don't buy. Just keep saving your money. Save, 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 save. He even tried to buy the apartment and the whole deal fell through. It was like the best thing that never happened to him. Yeah. And he then met the girl of his dreams and bought an apartment that was like way different than anything he would have bought at the time. So it may be that with a little bit more money saved, the opportunity for you to buy a house that maybe instead of like, oh, it's a starter house, we're going to move up. You may end up saying, wait, we actually found the house we want to be in for 20 years. So I I just want you to be open minded. Call us back if you have any other questions and let us know if we can help you out. Okay. That sounds really great. Thank you so much. All right. Great to talk to you and good luck. You too. Thank you. Thanks so much to our guest, Cynthia Johnson, and to our caller, Tina. Don't forget, we drop new episodes of Jill on Money every Tuesday and Thursday. If you'd like to get on the air live with us, just send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer, and we're distributed by Cadence 13. See you next week.